Good morning again. I'll try that again. Actually, good morning again. Good morning. Brilliant. It's reminded me of a story there of two children going into church, um, a bit like our own. Uh, on the way in, the, the mother and the father were saying to them, now, it's really, really important to be quiet in church. Um, and they agreed, and, they said, and the, the dad said, now, why do you think that is? And the wee boy looked up, and he says, well, it's because people are sleeping. Um, <laughs> so I really hope this morning that is not going to apply. Um, I know it's warm in here, but hopefully we'll, we'll get through. It's a lot warmer up here than it is usually down there. Um, usually sitting down there in the mornings, um, and it's definitely not as warm. But this morning, I just want us to look really, it's at one passage, but I'm going to read two. Um, that makes sense. I want to read two bits of, of scripture out, and then we're going to really just focus in on, on one of them. Um, and hopefully you'll see why I'm reading both of them this morning, because I think they, they both link in and they both tie in very, very well together. Um, but as of again, I want to tell a story about a farmer. Um, a farmer who he lost his watch one day while he was, he was loading hay into his barn. And he, he couldn't find his watch. And for, for hours, he searched for this watch. It was important to him. And, he, you know, he was frantically running around. He was, he was looking in the hay. He was searching everywhere. And he just could not find it. And eventually, he, he gave up. You know, eventually, he just, he was exhausted. And he just lay down on the hay. And as he lay down there quietly, and when he got his breath back, he began to hear something. And he began to hear a, a ticking sound. And he stayed quiet, and, and as he listened, he, he heard that ticking sound, and he followed it. And he followed the sound, and eventually it led him right to his watch. He had found his watch, and he simply just had to be still. All the activity, all the busyness, all the running around, looking for this watch, didn't lead him to it. But whenever he lay down, whenever he was still, whenever he listened, he found his watch. And what I want us to read this morning is Psalm 46, if you have a Bible. Psalm 46, and I'm going to read five verses from it, 1, 2, 3, 10, 11. And then we're going to, to skip to Exodus 14. I'm going to start with Psalm 46. And if you want to get Exodus 14 as well. It'll be Exodus 14, 9 to 14. But Psalm 46, very, very well-known verses. And just verses, as I say, 1 to 3 and then 10 to 11. God is our refuge and strength, a very present help in trouble. Therefore, we will not fear. Though the earth gives way, though the mountains be moved into the heart of the sea, though its waters roar and foam, though the mountains tremble, at its swelling. And then verse 10 and 11. Be still and know that I am God. I will be exalted among the nations. I will be exalted in the earth. The Lord of hosts is with us. The God of Jacob is our fortress. And then on the Exodus, Exodus 14, verses 9 to 11. The Egyptians pursued them, all Pharaoh's horses and chariots and his horsemen and his army, and overtook them encamped at the sea by Pharaoh in front of Baal Zephon. When Pharaoh drew near, the people of Israel lifted up their eyes, and behold, the Egyptians were marching after them, and they feared greatly. And the people of Israel cried out to the Lord. They said to Moses, Is it because there are no graves in Egypt 
that you have taken us away to die in the wilderness. What have you done to us in bringing us out of Egypt? Is not this what we said to you? Leave us alone that we may serve the Egyptians. For it would have been better for us to serve the Egyptians than to die in the wilderness. And Moses said to the people, Fear not. Stand firm and see the salvation of the Lord, which he will work for you today. For the Egyptians whom you see today, you shall never see again. And in verse 14, I love this verse. The Lord will fight for you, and you have only to be silent or to be still. Amen. I read purposely um, those two passages together this morning. Um, hopefully you, you can see why, because there, there are quite a few parallels between them, between those verses in Psalm and those verses in Exodus. And Psalm 46, very well known. And it's a psalm that clearly we've just read it. It, it speaks of God being a, a place of, of refuge, of a God who is shelter, of a God who is hope, of a God who is a very present help in times of trouble. It speaks of the Lord of hosts, and literally that is meaning the God of heaven's armies. And it's talking about this God being with his people. And you know, it's because of these things that the psalmist can turn around and say those three words, do not fear. Do not fear. And the language we're given, you know, even when the earth is giving way. In other words, even when there is, is chaos, even when the brokenness comes, even when things seem impossible, do not fear because he is God. And you know, Psalm 46, it also speaks then of, of, of that idea of being still. Being still and knowing who God is. Knowing that God will be exalted among the nations. In other words, a way to put that is know that, know that God wins. Know that he wins. And then whenever we get to Exodus, which is what I want us to look at this morning, you know, hopefully you see where we're going. Because in Exodus, we see all of that being put into action. We see all of those things coming together because we see God who does come to the rescue. We see a God who, who proves that he is a very present help. He is right there with his people and he is there to do the impossible. You know, a God who, whose army is, is greater, who isn't even comparable to the great Egyptian army that we see. And we also see Moses telling the people those words again, be still, be still, allow God to work, watch God winning. That's what Moses is telling them. So let's look at, at these verses in Exodus together. Um, I know it's a very well-known passage, but let's just set the, the context to it. Um, what has gone on just before this? We, we know that the children of Israel, they've, at these verses, they've found themselves and they're camped by the Red Sea. So there they are. They've been camped for a number of days by the Red Sea. But before this, we all know it, they have been held captives. They've been held captives in, in Egypt where they were oppressed. They were suffering as slaves for hundreds of years. And then at the start of Exodus, in Exodus 3, when we read it, we see God appearing to Moses, a Hebrew who, who was raised in Egypt, and he gives him a message. And he tells Moses, Moses, now is the time. I want you to go to, to Pharaoh, and I want you to tell him to, to set my people free. You know, God has heard the cry of his people, and now it is time for them to be delivered. It is now time for them to move on and to inherit that land that God promised to Abraham hundreds of years before. 
God was going to make them a great nation. God was going to bless the world through this nation, all pointing to Jesus. So Moses, after some persuasion, along with his brother Aaron, they go to Pharaoh. And they issue Pharaoh with a warning. You know, let my people go so that they can worship me in the wilderness. Pharaoh refuses. You know, Pharaoh refuses, and not only that, he makes things even more difficult for the children of Israel. And that leads to Moses questioning God. But still God tells him to, to go. And we know the story. The plagues come into Egypt. God sends the plagues, but time and time again, Pharaoh's heart is, is hardened. And he makes false promises, but he tries to bargain. But still the Israelites are kept in captivity. They're still slaves until the final plague the death of the firstborn son in Egypt. And in Exodus 12, 31, we read these words. Then he, then Pharaoh, summoned Moses and Aaron by night and said, Up, go out from among my people, both you and the people of Israel, and go. Serve the Lord as you have said. So the Israelites pack up their belongings. They take their cattle. They take silver and gold from the Egyptians, just like God had said would happen. And the Exodus begins. And, you know, people who are much more intelligent than me, not difficult, I hear you say, but they estimate around 2.4 million people left Egypt. 2.4 million people. Exodus 12 tells us there were 600,000 able-bodied men. But then add into that the, the women, the children, others. This was a huge group of people, 2.4 million. And God led them into the wilderness, away from Egypt. And we're told that he went with them. You know, by day he was there in that pillar of cloud, and by night he was the pillar of fire. He was right with his people. And finally they come to the edge of the Red Sea. Finally they come to the sea because God has led them there. It hasn't been an accident. It's not a mistake. There they are at the edge of this Red Sea, and Pharaoh's heart is hardened once again, and he changes his mind. And we read the words in Exodus 14, 8. And the Lord hardened the heart of Pharaoh, king of Egypt. And he pursued the people of Israel while the people of Israel were going out defiantly. And this is where we find the children of Israel in our verses this morning. Here they are. They are trapped. The Red Sea is in front of them. They have nowhere to go in front and they have nowhere to go behind because this Egyptian army is bearing down on them. The Egyptian army uh, with chariots, they are, they, are, they are coming for them. How do they re react? Well, we read it in verse 10. When Pharaoh drew near... The people of Israel lifted up their eyes, and behold, the Egyptians were marching after them, and they feared greatly. And the people of Israel cried out to the Lord. They were afraid. And you, can you blame them? That was a completely normal reaction. I'm sure it was a terrifying, it was a terrifying sight. It was a terrifying situation. You know, where they were sea in front, a powerful army behind them. They were afraid, and were told that they cried out, to the Lord. And that first reaction, it seems a good one. The fact that they cried out to the Lord, that, that seems, that's a good thing to, to have done. It's a good thing to do. But then in verse 11, it seems as if it's almost, the way it's written, the way I read it, it's almost in the next breath. You know, we're told that they cried out to the Lord, but then immediately, you know, they look to Moses and they, they say this, is it because there are no graves in Egypt that you have taken us away to die in the wilderness? What have you done to us in bringing us out of Egypt? Is, it not this, is this not what we said to you in Egypt? Leave us alone that we may serve the Egyptians. 
for it would have been better for us to serve the Egyptians than to die in the wilderness. You know, they look to Moses and they say, Moses, why? Why have you brought us here? Now the Egyptian army, now they're going to kill us. Now we're going to be wiped out. You've made things worse. And you know, as I read that, and even as I thought about that, it can be so easy for us to say, how how can they change their minds so quickly? How How can they say these things? Because remember, they have witnessed God performing amazing miracles. They have witnessed God being with them. They have witnessed his protection. He had brought them this far. God is God. He was going to fulfill his promise to them. And just in case they doubted any of that, God was right there in a pillar of cloud with them. They could see God was right there, but still they were afraid. Still they were afraid of the Egyptians, and we can ask why. Why were they? And I think they were afraid because they weren't truly trusting. They were not truly trusting in their God. You see, despite everything that God had done for them, and despite God's promises to them, they still lacked trust. Their fear had caused them to forget. You know, initially, as I said, they cried out to God, and that was good, but it seems that their, their, their cry didn't have any confidence in it. They were not crying out with confidence, and it can be very easy for us today to criticize them. You know, but I find myself thinking, if that was me, if I was there, if I was the one standing in front of the Red Sea with this army coming behind me, would I have trusted? You know, and the answer is probably not. You see, they they were finding it hard to, to trust God because of fear. Because of fear. And that's what fear does. You know, I read it last night that, you know, quite possibly the number one reason for our lack of trust at times is fear. It's the the biggest cause of of unbelief, if you like, the biggest cause of a lack of trust. And fear quite often, what does it do? Well, it it focuses us to, to look at the problem. Fear focuses us to concentrate on the problem. It can cause us to, to try to work out, how, how can I fix this? How can I turn this situation around? How can I make this situation better? It's all about how we can take control. That's what fear can do. And what is that? Well, that's the opposite of what trusting God is. Because surely this morning for us, trusting God, that means handing control over to him. It's about saying, God, I can't do this. God, I have no control in this situation. God, I I have no control. God, I am nothing. God, it is all about you, and I trust you. But fear can warp that. Fear can very easily creep in and warp that reality. You see, trust, when you think about it, it is a heart matter. Trust is not about circumstances. You know, because it can be so easy, and we all know this, it can be so easy to trust God when things are going well. It's easy to trust when everything is going for us, but what about the times when things are not going for us? Very simple statement this morning. Our trust in God should be because He is God. We should trust God go back, because He is God. It's really that simple. You know, I read this quote last night by a lady called Leanne Whitfield. She says, when we are struggling with the fear associated with trusting and obeying, we need to ask ourselves this important question. And here's the question. Am I trusting in God for what he does for me? Or am I trusting in who he is? If we trust in God only for what he does, 
we plant ourselves on shaky ground because we don't always understand what God is doing. You know, how true is that this morning? His ways are bigger and mightier and greater than our ways. We do not see the big picture, but do we trust that he does? You know, at times whenever maybe we are facing our Egyptian army, whatever that is, whenever we are facing that situation that that is difficult, we can question God. You know, we can say, God, why? Why is this happening to me? Why are you allowing this to happen? God, don't you care? God, where are you in all of this? And we ask those questions even though we have witnessed God doing miracles in the past, even though God has brought us this far, and even though we know that he is right with us. But because of fear, we can be just like the Israelites. We can be just like the Israelites standing at that Red Sea, and we can forget. And this morning, I I really believe that God is calling us to, to trust him. He is saying, just trust me whatever that means. You know, Proverbs 3, 5, it says, trust in the Lord with all your heart and don't lean on your own understanding. His understanding is greater than ours. You know, the children of Israel, they had taken their eyes off that pillar of cloud. They had taken their their eyes off God and they had turned their focus and their attention to the problem. That's what was consuming them. And the problem became the focus. That's when fear set in. But look at Moses' reply. Verse 13, And Moses said to the people, Fear not, stand firm and see the salvation of the Lord, which he will work for you today. For the Egyptians whom you see today, you shall never see again. And then in verse 14, The Lord will fight for you, and you only have to be silent. Only have to be silent, or you only have to be still. You see, Moses turns their attention back to God. He tries to turn their attention away from the the problem and he turns it to God and he tells them, do not fear. He says, don't fear. Be still, be silent and have confidence in this God and watch what this God is going to do for you. He is going to fight for you. You know, Moses is reminding them of who God is and that he is a God who can be trusted. He knew they were afraid. He was probably afraid himself. I'm sure he was. But he gives the command, fear not. And you know, maybe you're here this morning and you're afraid. Maybe you're here this morning and you are afraid. Well, God is saying, yes, trust me. But he is also saying, don't be afraid. Do not fear. You know, you've maybe heard uh, we saying that there are 365 fear nots in the Bible, that there are one for each day. It's a nice saying, but it's not true. Okay, don't know where it came from. It's a a really lovely thought, though, but it's not true. There are around, closer to around about 100. So there are a lot, okay? There are still a lot. And I think there's an awful lot of them because God is making it pretty clear to us as believers this morning. He is telling us, you do not need to be afraid. You know, the point is that even if God said it once, even if he only said it once to us, that should be enough. And I'm not suggesting this morning it's an easy thing to do. I'm not standing up here and saying, yep, you know, don't fear, easy. Because if I'm honest, I am a worrier. You know, I am speaking to myself here this morning more than anybody else in this room. I am a worrier. I should practice what I'm preaching more often. Because we are human beings. And as human beings, we will have fears. We will have concerns. God's children are not immune to difficulties. 
I'm sure every person knows that here this morning. But we are told time and time again by God, do not fear. Fear not. Do not let that fear consume you. Cry out to God. Get alongside people that you trust. And that's, I believe, why this church is so important. We need to be here. I'm going off on a tangent. We need to be here for each other. We need to be here to to listen to each other. We need to be here to strengthen each other. We need to be here and not... Yes, this is going to sound like a contradiction. We need to be not be afraid to be afraid. We can't be afraid to be human beings in a church. We share with each other, and that can help us bring our attention back to God. Be a Moses for someone. Take someone's focus off the fear and turn it back to God. He is telling us to fear not. Know that you can trust him. You can trust the one who is, in Psalm 46 reminds us, and we read it, the one who is our refuge, the one who is our strength, the one who is our safe place, our very present help in trouble, the one who is with his people. But you know, Moses doesn't just say, don't fear, because he also tells the people, be still. He says to be still or to be silent. And that word silent, it can also mean to, to be still. Watch what God is going to do. That's what he tells them. He basically tells the the children of Israel the same thing that we read in Psalm 46. Be still and know that I am God. That's what he's telling them. See, the meaning of that word in Psalm 46, it's, it's a translation of a Hebrew word, and it's a bigger meaning than being still. Quite often when we think of being still, we think that that means, you know, just to, to sit down, to, to not think, just to, to be quiet. And yes, there's, there's an element of that, but the Hebrew is much richer. And the Hebrew word, it means to, to let go, to slacken, to surrender, to cease striving, to relax. In other words, it's a phrase that means to stop all of your frantic activity and be still. Moses was telling the children of Israel to let go and let God. You know, a phrase I'm sure you've heard before, let go and let God. He was telling them that they were to rest in God. Rest in him, have confidence in him that he was the one who was right with them and he was the one who was going to fight for them. Just be still. And maybe that's the point we find ourselves in this morning a point where we need to, to be still, where we need to not fear, where we need to, to trust God, trusting that he is able. But you know that verse in Psalm 46, 10, there's a second part of it, and it's equally as important. It doesn't just say be still, but it goes on to say no. Be still and know that I am God. And you see, in a way, Moses was telling the children of Israel exactly the same thing. He, he was saying to them, you know this great God. You have, have seen what he has done. You know what he can do. You know what he's capable of. So now you can be still because you know him. He will fight for you. The battle is his. And I, and I believe these words behind me, the foundation of all of it, it is knowing God. That is the foundation. It is about knowing God because whenever we know God, it allows us to, to trust him. How can we trust a God we don't know? But when we know him, when we know his character, when we know who he is, when we grasp that, it allows us to trust him. And that therefore allows us not to fear and that allows us to be still. Knowing God and knowing his character, it allows us to let go of us and completely depend on him. That's what trust is. You see, if we know God is our refuge, 
if we know what it means that He is our fortress, that He is with us, that He is sovereign, that He is faithful, that He is kind, that He is loving, that He is gracious, that He is merciful, that He is long-suffering, that He is for us, well, then we have every reason to be still this morning. We have every reason to trust. We have every reason to let go of our ways, to not fear, and to trust it all to Him, believing that He knows best. And you know, this morning, that doesn't just apply to our salvation. Because if you're a believer this morning, that's what you have done. You have let go of your way. You've realized, as a sinner, there is nothing that I can do. I have to trust in everything that He has done. But it also applies to our Christian living. It also applies to us as believers that we need to continually trust Him. We need to continually not fear. We need to continually be still. We need to continually get to know Him and know Him more. You know, the children of Israel, they knew God. They had to be still. They had to trust. It wasn't about what they could do. Because in this situation, after all, they could do nothing. They were helpless. The sea was in front of them. The army was behind them. But ultimately, the battle wasn't even theirs. It wasn't the Israelites versus the Egyptians. It was God versus the Egyptians. And the story of the Bible throughout it is God wins. You know, whenever we read on in Exodus 14, we see that God wins. In a miraculous way, we know the story. He delivered the Israelites. He, he parted that Red Sea. He delivered them in a, in a miraculous way. The Egyptian army was nothing compared to the God of heaven's armies. You know, we don't know, but I, I can't imagine one of those Israelites standing that day and, and, and even imagining to ask God to part that Red Sea. You know, I don't believe that that would have happened. I don't believe that in, in all of this they were thinking, oh yeah, we'll just get God to, to move the sea for us. And again, that proves to me God's ways are much bigger than our ways. And at times, God will work in ways that, that we can't expect, that we can't see, that, that are even bigger than we could even imagine or ask for, as Ephesians tells us. God is bigger than us. You know, at the end of chapter 14, if you have your Bible there, in verse 30 to 31, it says, Thus the Lord saved Israel that day from the hand of the Egyptians. And Israel saw the Egyptians dead on the seashore. Israel saw the great power that the Lord used against the Egyptians, so the people feared the Lord. The next line, and they believed. They trusted in the Lord and in his servant Moses. See, God worked in his time, and God worked in his way. But notice that in those verses, they're still afraid. That The word fear is still there, but it's a different kind of fear. You know, now they, they weren't fearing their enemies, but now they had a reverent and awestruck fear of, of this amazing, powerful, almighty God. They were in awe of God, and that caused them to believe. They believed in the Lord. You know, the people saw God deliver them in an absolutely miraculous way. And you would think then, that's it. You know, for the rest of the Old Testament, for the rest of Israel's history as we read it, you know, that's it. It's going to be easy for them from now on. You know, they've seen God do all of this. They've learned their lesson. Now they are going to trust God. You know, from now on, easy sailing. But we know that's not the case. In fact, it wasn't too long after this that they started to lack trust again. They start to grumble. They start to quarrel. They start to complain. Why did they do that again? Well, Pastor Stephen Lee, he, he 
says this. He believes, or he says, they suffered from spiritual amnesia. In other words, they forgot God again. They forgot. They lacked faith. So easy to criticize them. But how often do I do that? And again, I'm just speaking to me this morning. How often do I do that? How often do I forget? Stephen Lee then goes on to say, the antidote to spiritual amnesia is making every effort to recall and remember God's gracious deliverance. The fact that you, a sinner who was an enemy of God, are now a beloved child, that is a miracle. Don't let that wonder ever fade. Remember. I think that's great advice this morning. That whenever we are tempted to fear, whenever we are tempted to complain, remember. Just remember who God is and what he has done. As Psalm 46 tells us, know God. Know who he is. You know, Israel's lack of trust, it eventually led to a a whole generation missing out on the promised land. A whole generation missing out on on God's promise, but, but God did still keep his promise in spite of them. He kept his promise for that nation, and the new generation, now with Joshua as, as their leader, they entered that promised land 40 years later. And 40 years later, after that exodus happened, God reminded and he encouraged Joshua with these words. And with these words, I'm going to finish this morning. Because I believe they're words that weren't just for Joshua, they weren't just for the children of Israel, but they're for us this morning. They're words for each and every one of us this morning whenever we walk out of those doors. In Joshua 1.9 we read, Have I not commanded you? Be strong and courageous. Do not be frightened. And do not be dismayed, for the Lord, your God, is with you wherever you go. Let's just pray this morning. Father, I just want to, to again thank you this morning for who you are. Um, Father, we thank you this morning that, Lord, that you are God. And Father, I pray for myself and I pray for each person here this morning that, Father, we would, we would understand what that means, that, Father, we would know you more, that, Father, we would want to know you more, that, Lord, at times whenever we're afraid, at times when situa- situations and circumstances come into our life, that, Father, we just do not know, we have no control over, we can't see a way out. Help us, Lord, to be still. Help us to be still. Help us to let go of our ways, Father, and to, to let you work. Because, Father, you this morning are a God that we can trust. Father, we can trust you. And if we're here and if we have trusted you this morning for our eternal salvation, Father, there's nothing bigger that we can trust you for. So, Father, you've taken care of that. We pray that you would help us to, to trust you in, the, in all the ordinary things of life. And yes, Lord, Father, things that that may not seem very ordinary to us, things that are very real, things that are very frightening, things that are very difficult. And we acknowledge to you, Father, that we do go through those times, but we thank you, Father, that we have a God who is right there with us. We thank you that we have a God who has promised in his word never to leave us or forsake us. And Father, nothing, no situation or no person can ever pluck us out of your hand. And Lord, we praise you for that. Help us this morning to have the reality of that. Help us to to feel your presence, to sense your presence. But Father, all of that is based on truth this morning. So Father, even when our feelings tell us lies, 
even when our experience lies to us, Father, help us to always go back to the truth of your word, the truth of who you are, because, Father, that is unshakable, that is unchanging. And we thank you that you are a God, Father, who was with those Israelites. Father, you're the same God today. You're a God who is the same yesterday, today, and forever, Father, and you are unchanging. God, help us to trust you. Forgive us when we don't. But Lord, give us the power that we need today to live for you and to glorify you in all that we do. Thank you for being our God, Father. We pray this in Jesus' name.